one of the, the areas that's really essential when you're putting together your authoring team is to have somebody at the client that truly understands where the skeletons are, that truly understands and is forthright and saying, for example, listen, in development, we don't have the following items. They are planned, but we don't have them. Okay, we will look at that. We will rate that risk. If the risk is great, then we may advise you to wait until that data comes in. However, if it may not be, as long as you demonstrate the plan you have in place and you can speak to it, whether it's referencing the protocol or content of a protocol, you you may be able to work around that with the understanding you may get questions. But for us, it really is someone who understands their document library. Welcome to CMC Live. This is the show where we discuss CMC regulations and guidances simplified through real-life experiences and risk-based advice. Each episode, we speak with subject matter experts as well as other leading industry authorities. With your host, Ed Narkey. Hey guys, it's Ed Narkey. Welcome to CMC Live. I'm here to play another round of what are your thoughts around regulatory and other CMC issues with my co-hosts Miranda and Brian. So today we'll be talking about strategy and submissions, uh, two of my favorite things. So there's a variety of different types of submissions today, um, and I'm not talking about NDAs or VLAs. In particular, um, we're going to be the industry version of the investigative reporter today. We're going to investigate the requirements. Uh, we're going to investigate the data necessary in order to uh, report back to put a submission together. Any likely scenarios, we can discuss some examples that we've dealt with. And also, what's jumping off the pages for us these days as we watch and build submissions and review submissions. So for those just joining us and not familiar with the marketing application, an NDA is a new drug app and a BLA is a um, biologics license, similar, but it's for um, biologic. And uh, together, they're combined, they're called a marketing application. So marketing cap- application, in my opinion, and for most people, it's a way of telling us something. It's a way to tell the reviewer something about your process and your product. And the data in there is really important. So that's trying to tell a story. It's, it's always trying to tell a story. And so our job as regulatory reviewers, authors, CMC experts, you know, whatever you want our jobs to be or you want to call us, it's to decipher what that data is in that module and what it's saying and how it's saying it. So the marketing application is speaking a language, essentially. So the, the questions are, you know, are we able to interpretate this language and what data is saying in every application? Sometimes the data is light. Sometimes there's more of it. Uh, there's always a question on how to provide the data, how much prov- uh, data to provide. Sometimes the data is a little bit standoffish. Sometimes the data can be coy. Um, so it's really an art to put this together, to write this and to, to present it. It can go out and apply one thing to a reviewer, let's just say, you know, on the surface, and then he looks closer or she looks closer into the data and it says something uh, else. So consistency and cohesiveness is really important. Uh, again, it's evidence. Everything in the application contains as evidence. In fact, everything it doesn't contain is evidence. And uh, we can talk to some of those examples now. So I wanted to kind of just open it up here with Brian as far as what I just said. Some of the experiences that we've had, you know, I'm certainly have a lot of background in regulatory and submission authoring and not, you know, welcoming questions and those type of things now. But, you know, maybe we can kind of get into this. This is a two-part episode. The first part here we wanted to cover is, you know, the availability and the quality of the content, you know, presented in the dossier, what that means. Second piece of that uh, would be the resources. Um, there's a vari- variability in how you produce this, how you write this. Uh, it's not necessarily written by one person ever. It shouldn't be. There's a lot of background on that one. So compiling a full dossier, you know, not just for marketing, but for what, what, for producing a good submission. Uh, and then lastly, for part one here today, um, you know, what the sponsors out there need to know about regulatory CMC uh, when they're preparing for the application. Our experience is essentially 
with not just the FDA, but EMA, you know, not, not just during a drug development process, but during a submission, during a review, and then some of the things that crop up after. And we'll have a part two that talks about in depth, maybe more about the module three, the quality overall summary, some of the reasons, you know, for that. And then we'll wrap it up with some conclusions and pull it all together. So Brian, good morning. Good morning, Ed. Good morning. That was good. I, I think, you know, and hearing you talk, I, I think for me, one of the things I think it's important to stress as we go into this is, is the, the, the marriage between the technical and the regulatory. I mean, oftentimes we'll, we'll, we'll see clients or companies that have that one person charged with writing and the entire submission. And while it's efficient, you're talking basically coordinating with yourself. But what I find is that, that the CMC section is supposed to demonstrate a state of control. And when you think about CMC and CMC sections in the body of an entire submission, I, I've I found over the years, and I'd, I'd like to know your thoughts on it, CMC is often a bit of an afterthought. You know, you, you're just, you're filling out module three, you put the summary together, and then that's it. And, and the real glamour is the clinical data. But, you know, I think it's, it's often overlooked at the completeness of your documents to support a filing and, and the understanding of the technical and that state of control. What do you usually tell a client in terms of if they ask you, hey, you know, here's where we are in our program. Do you think we're ready to go forward and start to draft this, this submission? What do you tell them in terms of state of control and what, what you, you think they should have? Well, that, that's an interesting question and it depends. Maybe that's like a regulatory answer. It depends. So I look at it as, as, as a, you know, as a superhero, essentially like the, the best, the greatest superhero out there is Batman. He's not the smartest, obviously he's not the strongest, you know, he's not the fastest. I've, I know the other superheroes, obviously, but he has intellect, right? And that's a noun, you know, the capacity for understanding, thinking, reasoning. So when you just asked that question, I thought of the, um, that analogy, you know, if a tree falls in the woods, uh, if no one was there, does anyone hear it? And in the regulatory world, what do I tell somebody? If I'm explaining something to you about what has to happen strategically or what goes in submission and you're not, you're not understanding it, then do you really get it? You know, so that question is, is kind of an interesting one. For the audience, you know, the technical information that you mentioned, submit it in the module two and three, it's clearly spelled out in guidelines, right? But it's also gray. You know, the CTD, just from some background there, the common technical document, it's a format essentially, right? That has summaries, reports, data. It's, it's fairly well laid out, right? The question is, how do you populate that? Would, again, back to the, how much information and those things like that. How much do you put in? Why do you put so much in? Why did you not put uh, information in? You know, it has to, any, any information there has to conform to the requirements that are out there, recommendations found in the regulations and the, the CFR, right? And that's Europe and that's, that's the US, right? So a quick background, you know, the content, it's well-defined. There's various documents out there. There's considerable latitude for assimilating, discussing, comparing, contrasting these compliance pieces, right? Any of the data. There's no real answer, actually. So every, every program is different. You know, you, t you start with your, your framework and you, you sort of fill in the blanks, right? You, you start to build this. Um, it's modular, right? We talked about this before many times, you know, several layers. Some have greater detail because there's more information. You know, if you have 25 batches versus three, you're going to tell a different story. You're going you're to present different types of information. If there's holes in certain areas, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an art, art form, right? You have to basically pull 27 sections together, little or, you know, to, to kind of tell a story. You know, so these, these, this modular format, you know, allows for integration between different studies and different disciplines, analytical versus the process versus the stability. Um, you know, so presenting that information is kind of the art. 
Yeah. I mean, I, I, for me, you know, over the years, I represent the technical side and I didn't truly appreciate the regulatory experience and the benefit of that experience on a project until I really started working with DSI more and doing more submissions because the technical folks work in a, in a technical bubble. The regulatory folks understand the trends. They understand the story that's trying to be conveyed. And they also understand the potential pitfalls from an inve- from a, a reviewer standpoint. And I think helping to guide those technical people, what may seem common sense to me, if it doesn't read that way, then you're set up for questions. That's why I think the experience level of that regulatory point person during the submission is really critical. Yeah. And like Batman, I mean, that's the intellect thing, just pulling all those things together, including common sense, right? So, you know, the focus of this module three, it's really to demonstrate the quality of the, pro- the product, the candidate, right? The intermediate that goes into it or, or that's part of it, it's, you know, including the substance, anything that comes before the substance, raw materials, et cetera. And then the drug product, you know, to, to, to the satisfactory of a reviewer. And everyone's held to the same standards. No one gets a break, you know, based on if you're a small company, a large company, if you have a efficacious, you know, a, a really novel drug, let's just say, versus something that's just, you know, com- comparable to what's out there. So getting this, this module right, you know, it saves valuable time, you know, starting early uh, during a review. And quality module, it's a vital, it's a vital piece. It's a vital piece of, a, of an NDA, just as vital and maybe even more so than, than the clinical. The, the thing that you mentioned is, you know, starting this a bit late, never a good idea. Um, I know it's, it's done for resource um, reasons, you know, maybe you just don't have a person to put it together, but, um, you, you know, there's, there's things to consider, you know, we talked about this in the earlier podcast, um, you know, when you start to submit a 9D, you know, start to put stuff together there, build a strategy document, you know, lay out a plan, put placeholders in there, work with your vendors, you know, talk to them about their capabilities, maybe bring a consultant in to, you know, sort of outline that, speak with the FDA, put questions out there forward that, you know, you know, that are going to come up at some point that you're going to not know the answer for, you know, that you, you may not until you get in front of the FDA, but there's always reasons to have something like that in a strategy. Yeah, I, I think that that's to my point. And I'm not sure if I'm falling under the category of Alfred or not in terms of being the technical person that works on the project at, to, to Batman's uh, Alfred. We may start calling you Alfred then. I've been called worse. It's fine. <laughs> we already have a queue, so let's just keep going. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But I think I think the other thing that, that I've found is that um, in working with other clients in the past is they either lean heavily towards technical with not a lot of regulatory experience or they're heavily regulatory with essentially no technical experience and and it's it's the, it's the balance and the marriage of the two and and it's not you know when we talk to clients we talk about that that wholesale approach we have the technical person that is involved in the content authoring but then you've got that regulatory oversight that guides the story throughout the submission and those we always tell our our clients that those two components are critical and it's not done to just tag on a lot of resources and and and, and things to a project it's done because it's checks and balances if you don't have that it shows it shows in the sections and and it shows in the questions that come back Absolutely. And I think these, you know, we went through a couple of things that we'll touch on today, but I think a lot of these blend together. So, you know, my second point for this part one was, you know, about the resources and just some background, you know, I learned my trait, my, my trait here, uh, what I like and what I do here, what I used to do here, actually. Um, I, I learned it at a large company, um, a manufacturer, in fact, you know, writing drug master files. And it was a different intention, you know, putting all that information wasn't to get an approval. It was to have information available for inspections and for references and those things like that. And it was maintained. There was not a lot of pressure to, 
you know, talk to the agency about what's in there. So when I moved over to the big pharma, obviously a very different environment, right? That the information pulled together in these, these marketing applications were, especially at a large pharma, dispersed to, you know, maybe hundreds of com- uh, countries around the world. So the, the level of information and how it was put it together, you know, translated, had to translate to managing that eventually. And, you know, doing it kind of for the last 15 years, um, you know, with smaller emerging biotechs. And we could touch on the limitations, what we're dealing with there, right? I mean, anyone listening to this at a a small biotech knows the resource constraints, you know, knows about what the priorities are. You mentioned that before, you know, not putting a lot of emphasis on CMC. But, you know, just as important, these these marketing applications are held when they're submitted to the same standard as a large company you know, um, uh, Mark or a J&J, so a vertically integrated company that has a lot of resources. So, you know, the expectations are the same. So uh, to, to, to stop there, but to kind of transition onto the next sort of topic here, resources, you know, required for compiling this, this CMC dossier, right? Not just for the marketing, but making a good submission and being able to manage it, you know, throughout development, but also post-marketing. So Brian, I'd like to hear, you know, you, you, you've dealt with this, you know, dealing with the resources. You mentioned a few times now, um, you know, starting things too late and then how many people are on it, who are on it. Can you talk to me about some of that stuff? Maybe share some of your recent experience. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. So we've evolved over, over the years in doing this and we, we've, we've evolved as a result of lessons learned with, with many clients and many submissions. Oftentimes we find that clients are also looking for a submission to be a learning opportunity for their own people. And they'll say right off the bat, there are these sections that are going to be written by us these sections can be written by you. Well, look, we can work with that. Absolutely. And I think to a degree, they're right. It is an opportunity for people to learn because it's a new company. They're gaining momentum. They expect many more submissions. And oftentimes they don't want to rely on necessarily a consultant to do that. They want to grow that skill in-house. But there are a couple of key components that we require going forward. One, you have to have effective project management. You have to have true traceability of each of the sections as they progress through the different stages of authoring. And often those sections are completely tied into other sections and they're gated. You can start one section after one's developed. Having that understanding at the PM level is essential. Whether it's the PM with the client or it's being assisted by the PM on our side, you have to have that first and foremost. You also have to have the critical dates established. Once you have that, you can manage to it. Now, beyond that, we have an author, a regulatory author. So we will get out and we will say, here are the required documents to get started to author. And we'll provide a predetermined list based on the CTD and we get those documents in. The author then begins to craft it. The the other piece, which we feel is really important to when we author is to have a technical review. The author is the author. They take the content, they build the sections. The technical review makes sure that that source information content jives with what's being written. Then you have the regulatory review. This cannot be overlooked. And and on our side of the fence, we ensure that every section that goes over to a client is reviewed by our regulatory lead. The regulatory lead, in our opinion, understands the correspondence, understands the direction that the filing has to go in, and also ensures that all of these authors for the various components are following one cohesive story. And then we bring in a formatter. Um, our authors, yes, they abs- everybody can work in Word, but when it gets to some of these tables and the intricacies of formatting, of, a formatting person is, is essential. 
They know the templates that we're working within. They'll know the publisher that it's going to, and they can turn around sections to be review ready in a fraction of the time that, say, a technical person or a regulatory person would take to, to do. Then just as important is identifying the client review. Oftentimes, we'll have uh, clients that want to continue to review to the wee hours of the morning when a section is considered final, and then you have to open it up and do again. Understanding the workflow of the client is really important, and understanding the expectations of us for a client, which is to have cohesive comments back from your review. Then we remediate the comments, and then we go on to publishing. So really, it's, it's an author, a regulatory lead, a SME, a subject matter expert for uh, that particular discipline, whether it's analytical, drug substance, drug product, and our formatting person. And that really constitutes the DSI team all run by the project manager. And that's our approach typically. That actually highlighted in a question that I had, and, and I think you answered it already, but just to summarize, you know, you know, when you're preparing to undertake this preparation to write this, you know, the first and probably the most critical step is to engage across disciplinary team, right? But, you know, so the members have to possess tech, the technical knowledge, the ability to collaborate effectively as well, right? So establishing this team early, very important, right? Well, there's an important piece though, Ed, and it's, it's, you know, everybody comes with different backgrounds and experiences. So you're bound to have differing opinions. Who has final say? I think that's really important to get into. Yeah, that's, that's great. And then, you know, we, we've been on some of these teams, you know, I've been on teams at, at bigger companies where everyone wants a piece of something too. So, you know, the, the, to accomplish its goals, this team, right, whatever you want to call it, right, they, everyone needs to understand and agree on what the goals are, right? And that includes the, if you're working with a sponsor, helping them, assisting them. So, and, and a lot of that, some of that involves risk assessment. So, so what are the, like the weakest aspects of, of working in, in that environment? What, what are some of these things to consider? That's a great question. So I think one of the, the things that, that's often a recipe for anxiety and stress is not understanding roles and responsibilities. So I mentioned all of these different components that make up the authoring team. But make no mistake about it, this is a regulatory exercise. And what we find is we see it with clients, we see it even internally amongst consultants. Everyone has their own experiences and their own background. And as you mentioned earlier, the guidances are written somewhat vague. They're left to interpretation. And it's a good and a bad thing. Uh, but it's really important to know at the onset of the project that the regulatory lead on the project has the ultimate say in the content and the direction of the filing. And, and, and they have to be in lockstep with the expectations and the strategy of the client. And I think if you have that established early on, then when you get into these professional disagreements, and I'm, I'm making brackets with my hands here, you, the, the regulatory lead comes in, they have the background, they have the expertise, and they will guide the project. I think it's really important to set that that roles and responsibilities, because it helps as you get down closer to deadline. Obviously, a lot of emotion, a lot of pressure builds, and, and discussions happen. It's good to just have those nip them in the bud, have targeted, focused discussions led by your regulatory lead. And I think to start this, you know, when we're talking about the adequate resources for putting this together, the people, the process, you know, those type of things like the, the, the goals where, you know, and then also having cohesion here. So one of the things, and I th I'm going to touch on it here, but I think it, we might come back to it, maybe the part two of this, of this, um, this podcast, but you know, it, it's a, it's probably something that you can speak to very well, very well doing this a long time. Right. Um, and, and myself, I just like to hear you. And sometimes I remember, you know, the good old days, but 
you know, in an ideal situation, you know, the quality modules would be written all, you know, once, once all the requisite data is available, right? Unfortunately, the realities of modern drug development, you know, you have CMOs here, there, you're bringing these guys on later, whatever, and there's gaps in development, stuff you can't find. Rarely, if ever, are we afforded this luxury. So can you talk about maybe that, you know, plan? There's different scenarios. Some folks have phase two, early phase two, they get some breakthrough designation or some sort of fast track, and then suddenly, you know, it becomes very important, their submission date. Other folks come, especially maybe to us, and they have efficacy already. They want to file a marketing application, say, at the end of the year. There's different things going on, right? So the reality is that the data is always, it's never just there, right? And, and, and if you wait till it's all there, then you're, you're going to delay something. So can you give us some, you know, just your feelings, you know, just over the years, you develop some thought on this one, or is this what it is, right? So love to hear that. No, I, I think you framed it up perfectly. So, so each client uh, is different. Each each company is different. Each company's understanding of their submission readiness is different. Now, where we don't understand the drivers that that have them file when they do, we don't really care. We care is it ready and we're putting forward a, a solid submission. I think one of the the areas that's really essential when you're putting together your authoring team is to have somebody at the client that truly understands where the skeletons are, that truly understands and is forthright and saying, for example, listen, in development, we don't have the following items. They are planned, but we don't have them. Okay, we will look at that. We will rate that risk. If the risk is great, then we may advise you to wait until that data comes in. However, if it may not be, as long as you demonstrate the plan you have in place, and you can speak to it, whether it's referencing the protocol or content of a protocol, you may be able to work around that with the understanding you may get questions. But for us, it really is someone who understands their document library, because oftentimes we'll get access to a document library and the file names don't match the content. They may be a numbering system that we don't know. So one of the workarounds we developed over the years was, in the past, we would have to open every document, and we would label that document because we know what it is now, and we put it in the appropriate section content. But now what we've done is we basically provide a predetermined checklist, and that checklist has the types of documents we're looking for, and also the, the, C, uh, the CTD reference as to why we're asking for it. That person can say, well, that's report XYZ. I know it is. I'll put it in this bucket. And if you can keep that integrity in the the way you request documents, the way you transfer documents, and then the way you file them ultimately to be used in authoring, if you can keep that CTD continuity, it heads off a lot of stress and anxiety. A lot of times we have clients that are just under-resourced and they'll say, okay, I don't have time for this. Rather than having five different people look all over the e-room, you have one person who's the gatekeeper and you control that information. And that over the years has really helped streamline our approach because I haven't met a client yet or worked at a company yet where their filing system was was par excellence, to your point, where, where everything you can possibly imagine is available at the time you need it. And so you have to be creative. But I think where you don't want to lose time is, is trying to understand what you have. You know, it should be done quickly and then you should start tro- focusing on the true gaps or the true potential risks, not spending your time opening files and looking for um, what the content is. So th- that's important. I think also in terms of, 
efficiency and preparedness, what we typically do is we ask for word versions of documents, especially some of these larger development reports, because, you know, to sit and retype the entire report probably isn't in anyone's best interest, but if you can lift relevant sections out that are applicable and drop them into CTD, it gets that thing moving faster. It gets those those draft sections back to the client for review quicker. And it's just over the years, we, we've worked to build in efficiencies that, that take uh, a lot of the guesswork out of compiling the submissions. Okay. So in resources, I think I'll, I'll hit this here. I, I want to be fair to, to the management teams out there. You know, they're, they're under pretty much constant pressure raising funds. We, we mentioned this in an earlier broadcast with, um, with Judy Magruder, you know, early stage companies looking for money, you know, building a team, building an effective team, you know, keeping ahead of the competition, not being second or third, those type of things like that, you know, ensuring viability for the clinical development strategy. I know I always say CMC should be the first and most important thing, but, you know, clinically that's really as important for the patient. So this is a question, you know, um, drug candidates out there, pretty much everywhere now to develop my many sponsors, you know, management teams, most of these places have varying degrees of familiarity with or experiences with the requirements, you know, manufacturing. We're lucky, you know, we worked in manufacturing, so it's kind of second nature, like riding a bike. But can you talk to um, maybe some of that, you know, as far as different companies, different management teams have that different experience. Sometimes, you know, they lack experience and they're, they're also charged with making decisions and, and signing off on, on the budget, you know? So, can you talk to me and Miranda here who, you know, has these questions for us often, you know, tell us about some of that variability, you know, are there good reasons for that sometimes, you know, is it, is it better for management teams to, to be hands off and to delegate? Does it create, present some problems maybe without getting into too much detail and maybe talk about, you know, that's a dynamic that we deal with out there. It's not just a writing a submission and submitting it. There's, there's people involved, right? There's experiences, previous experiences, maybe where someone had an issue, you know, so they become more, conscious of, uh, and, and more risk averse. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. You know, we've talked quite a bit now, but I think respecting the experience of the people that brought the project to this point is critical. If you come into this situation where you are just saying, what do you mean you haven't done X, Y, and Z? You don't know the reasons why particular studies weren't started. You don't know what got them to this point. And you have to respect the people that brought the product to this point, whether it's, as you said, whether it's executive management, they, everyone has a role. And oftentimes we're brought in to represent a specific function, which is the details. Get the details, get me the submission, and there we go. I, I, we are very careful not to dismiss what anyone brings to the table. You may have a particular scientist that was responsible for the, the, the molecule or the, the drug delivery system themselves, and they've seen this thing from bench to where it is now. Well, they are critical and they have to have and feel as though they have a really important role in the whole process because that's really the cherry on top, right? Getting that application done. They've taken this thing and they've nurtured it. It's grown. It's done well in clinic. Obviously, it benefits patients. Understanding there is a lot of passion on the client side and respecting that passion and experience that got it to that point is, is critical. If you don't do that, you know, whether you work with us or not, but if your author doesn't have that basic understanding, then it's going to create not necessarily an adversarial relationship, but it will affect how information exchanges and flows. Because if that person who has fostered that process and grown that process trusts the people that are representing it in a filing, they're going to tell you. Listen, 
here's an area we did not develop as much. I'm not sure what this means, but we plan to do it down the road. We can work with that. We can work with it. This is where I go back to that, that regulatory strategy. This is critical because we can tell that story. We are in a state of control. However, these things are planned for this date, but we are, ab- and by acknowledging that, and it doesn't appear as an omission, you get out in front of it. I think it also puts the reviewer's mind, and you're, you're no more than this than I do, Ed, at ease that at least it's acknowledged and in a state of control. It does. It does. And we can go on and on about resources and tell good stories as well. But the, the third piece of this I was kind of kind of morphing into before we get into really the, the module three and some of the specifics. You know, what, what do we tell sponsors? What sponsors should really know about CMC regulatory, for example, when they're preparing to prepare for a marketing application? You know, it sounds easy. We, we put data together, we have an FDA meeting, and we submit something, but there's a lot more that goes into it. So, I, you know, we can ask each other questions or just share some of the stories. You know, there's, just to start, you know, there's, um, there's initially an IND, we talked about this previous in a podcast, you know, it's just fairly straightforward. You know, you, you want to open a clinical study and there's a couple of things, your checkbox things and some data. Um, but the, the, the true um, art comes, you know, transitioning in the phase two, three, the, the expectations are raised, you know, some more information is generated or if it's not generated, you know, there's, there's discussions that have to happen. And then, you know, some of the fast track programs, some of these programs are going fast and there's not a lot of time between phase two and marketing application. So, you know, planning is, is probably a better option than chance, right? Miranda, maybe you can come in here. You've been listening to clients and some of that, you know, tell us what we need to know. Tell us what's important now. Publishing templates, some of those things that are are have to be predetermined. I mean that that's in your wheelhouse. So so you know um, having uh, the importance of, of templates and and educating all involved on the templates and relationships with the publisher. I mean you know w- we get in situations honestly, Miranda, where where you say template and there's a blank stare on their faces in meetings and. They say, well, we'll use yours. Oh, okay, well, what's clinical using? I mean, it, so maybe something along those lines. Yeah, so I think it would be important to discuss a little bit more about where to start. You don't just open a Word document and start typing up your submission. I think it's important for um, sponsors to get ahead of the game, figure out the templates they'll be using at least. When? When, when should this happen, Miranda? Should this happen in phase three, two months before they're going to have a, a submission? Or would you suggest, you know, even thinking about this when you initiate an IND, you know, not to have your final templates, but prov- provide something in a format where you're building towards something? I, I have some thoughts on that, but you know what? Yeah. So typically what I would do if I was moving on from an IND and starting to develop an NDA or BLA, I would start from ground zero, making sure that I at least have an outline chart with all of the ECTD sections outlined in that manner. So you start your thought process of in um, CTD. From there, if you want to know what goes into those sections, it's important to start thinking about your submission templates. Uh, With those submission templates, you could have just depending on the publisher or depending on where you get your templates from, it could have instructions for you that's very insightful. It could have, say, this is what goes in this section. Um, I think a lot of sponsors are are confused on what goes where and why it's important. And understanding that ahead of time might be able to give them a better idea to tell a story about that submission rather than looking at it later and saying, wait, this might go 
in this section and they think about it and they're like, well, I wish I would have known this before so that they could tell the story a little bit better that way. Right. That I just had a fond memory. Do you remember Dudocs? Oh, yes. <laughs> Brian, this is, a, this is a side story. So I had this long time ago, I, I wanted to create some sort of thing called the CMC Blueprint where, you know, it's, it's be all end all. You open up a piece of software and ask you a question, you put information in, you know, it, it just builds the submission for you. But so we went out and tried to promote that and, and actually sell that like when I first was doing consulting and, you know, selling this to small biotechs, merging companies that didn't really want to write anything and stuff. It didn't, it didn't go over well, let's just say, right? So, but when you mentioned that, um, you know, a couple, maybe a couple of years ago, we, we found this group called DoDocs and they had some sort of uh, advanced Google Docs where you can write in questions and do that. So we tried it again, but it didn't work. 10 years later... Um, so, you know, the, I, th- I think the kind of point here is like, there's no real one way to do it. You know, you have a word, you have a blank word document. There's, there's plenty of granular information and guidances. It doesn't apply to every product, you know, the use common sense, what I mentioned before, but you know, what, what I would say is, you know, no matter when you, when you do this, probably you should do it from the beginning, but you know, the, the aim here is to design a quality product. Right. And that's, that's pretty clear. Right. And to make sure that the manufacturing process is consistent, you know, it's delivering the intended performance each and every time, which means, you know, it's like baking a cake, you know, you're, you're creating a recipe, the cake should taste the same all the time, right? And that's, that's the one spec for that. Um, so any information that you get from the very beginning, you know, any knowledge gained from mistakes, maybe, you know, you, you do certain things early in development, they don't work, right? Um, anything gained in these studies, you know, you develop uh, you put together development reports. We talked about that in a previous podcast, why that's important, why these iteratively build towards your submission. You know, this all happens over time. Um, your manufacturing experiences, you know, providing scientific understanding as you go along, you know, to support, you know, your establishment of your specifications, your process, the controls and those things like that. It's, it's, it's interesting, you know, if you do, if you think about this, you know, where do you want to be? What do you want this to look like? And you mentioned something, Miranda, I think it was, you know, just a plan, you know, you don't have to have your final templates, but if you're using something and you're maintaining them over time, you know, you're putting the right conformance information, once that's locked, you know, information that's not going to change that inherent knowledge, you know, putting that in the, the correct sections. And then, you know, start filling in some of the compliance pieces and setting certain data, you know, such as justifying a spec or why a process, you know, should start here for GMP. Those are all things that are supported by that. But I, I think that's one of the things that, you know, when you're talking to a potential sponsor out there, someone that may not have thought about an NDA until they get to the point, you know, it's really important to, you know, just kind of pay attention, put, put an emphasis on the information and the story. Um, because if you get to the last stage and you have good clinical data and, you know, your story is incomplete, you know, you don't know where this came in, what that character was, there's a hole here, you know, there's no ending, you know, it, it the re- this is where reviewers come and, and find some issues. So it's really about building a story. One of the things, the investment, when this start, you know, when, when should we start writing this? You know, the, the investment should be made wisely. If you're limited on cash and resources and it's going to be a long trial, you may want to think about that versus if it's a get up and go, we just got, you know, a partnership with Pfizer and they're going to pay for everything. So, uh, you know, understanding that science does not come cheap, right? Um, tight financial environments, most of these places, you know, and the reality is most of these products aren't going to make it all the way, you know, maybe 50% make it to phase three, um, a lot less make it to, to the final uh, destination. But I think, I think it's important to note though, Ed, that the cost of doing an incomplete filing is monumental 
I mean, right, because a lot of these companies are based off milestones and there's certain expectations. And the expectation is when you come to the time of filing that your, fi- your, your submission, your application will be accepted. And, you know, we've seen this where we, we, we've advised and, and decisions were made and suddenly all of the complete response letter, the questions start coming back and, and, and having, having a plan to manage that if indeed it does come back, but more importantly, understanding where it could come back and be ready. But the cost of it, it is expensive. The process of, of authoring these submissions is expensive. But if you consider the cost of not having it accepted, um, to me, it just seems as though you commit to the project when clearly you can afford to do it, but understand that it is expensive. You can manage cost, you can manage burn rate of hours and all of those things and understand them, but, but it, it is an expensive uh, endeavor, but the cost of doing it incorrectly is also just as great and often not understood. Exactly. So that's a good point. So really the goal sounds like it, sh- it should be increasing your level of understanding your process knowledge and, and, and everything like that, not just generating volumes of data, you know, that, that costs money and then, and, and, you know, for the right. So, you know, kind of wrapping this, this podcast up, you know, we, we talked about this before too, and, you know, some folks have different thoughts on it, you know, but, you know, regulatory authorities are part of the team, right? They're your friends, seek advice, ask for their advice and also educate them. They're not there to help develop the product. It's, it's not that easy necessarily to get into their audience, right? Sometimes if you don't have data, you know, it's again, it's going back to how you tell the story. So seek out advice, you know, ha- have those requisite meetings when you can and ask good questions, um, you know, versus just asking three general can questions. So you had your checkboxes, right? You know, ask questions that, that you, can, you can get something out of, maybe, maybe based on making decisions on when to do things or something that you might want to document and have an agreement on that's binding that, you know, you can come back to. A lot of times you can do this, um, especially more recently, and have you know, post, uh, post-marketing commitments, especially if you're a fast-track program, some of those things like that. I mean, ultimately, the, the authorities, you know, control ultimately the, the products, the drug products fate, right? So it's only an advantage for a company to make, seek out that reviewer's thoughts, you know, and then make sure they dearly understand the science behind your process by putting that data or having an agreement what type of data is there. So, and that's the benefit of having that experienced um, regulatory lead because they're going to guide you in those decisions. They will guide the technical people in the story that's got to be told and what they need to be prepared to tell. So uh, to me, I can't stress that enough, whether it's internal to a client or they, or they hire that consultant, I would really kick the tires and make sure that, that their experience is current. Right. And I, I mentioned this somewhere, or I think I had a blog on our website about it, but you know, some of the, one of the most important meetings in my mind, I know there's a lot of different meetings that are important for reasons, but end of phase two meeting, right? That should be something you plan for years before you get there. You know, you, what you want to talk about and build an, uh, an adequate you know, strategy to talk about there. So this way you have adequate time to respond to any concerns. And there's always going to be some concerns, and especially for fast track programs. So Authorities out there don't—they're not expecting a company to agree with everything they tell them to do for you know in every instance, but they do expect thoughtful considerations and you know scientifically justified responses and, and strategy. So as you're going into that, um, you know think about some of those things. I can kind of bring up a list here, just some some things that we've dealt with. Um, CMC regulatory compliance concerns, you know, for small molecules and biologics. I have a list of 17 different things. Um, Know, from anywhere from qualifi- qualifying impurities. How many times have we seen that in different ways done, right? Specifications, setting them based on what, right? Impurity profiles, you know, that there's, there's 10 or 15 things that could happen there. 
Um, these are all things to think about, you know, as you're going into that. Um, the typical thing, you know, where does regulatory starting materials start, you know, genotoxicity, but there's other things too, the inherent things, you know, changes that occurred over the process, over the course of time, site changes, any anticipated changes that will happen. You know, you want to get ahead of that because a lot of times, you know, you're not, you may not have a, a supply chain that could support launch. So things happen after that, that you have to consider and, and they will change prior to your submission or with a, with a comparability protocol, for example. So, and then, you know, I think that's just the overarching um, last thing I'll leave here with, you know, identifying any CMC issues throughout the program, throughout development, site changes, you know, any novelness to your program. Um, not every program is, is the same. In fact, every, pro every program like a snowflake is different. You know, they, they look alike, they're sometimes the same color, but you know, every, there's no one that's the same. So Brian, Miranda, any, anything else to wrap it up? We'll be moving into, you know, sort of the details in our next podcast. Hopefully this was, was somewhat helpful and, uh, you know, check us out for the next time in the next podcast part two, where we'll get into, you know, really some of the, the gory details of module three, some of the things that we've seen over the years. And then we'll talk a little bit more about the quality overall summary, which, um, you know, near and dear to Brian's heart and my heart, a place where we can talk about and discuss, you know, why we didn't follow guidances or some of the reasons that we did certain things, you know, for a reviewer to, to be able to get a, a preview of what the story is all about. Thanks for listening. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, and any links mentioned in this episode, please visit dsinformatics.com forward slash podcast. There you'll find the information from this episode and any past episodes. If you're enjoying this podcast, please leave us a rating and a review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash cmc live. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.